we thank you for all the prep that June's done to bring your word to us today. May our hearts and our minds be open to what you want us to hear, and may we action what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Joe, good morning, everyone. Well, as Joe's already hinted, today is the Feast of Pentecost, which is often referred to as the birthday of the church. Called that because Pentecost is when the apostles went out from among the people and began spreading Jesus' message, thus establishing the beginning of the church. So it wasn't just the Queen's official birthday yesterday, but it's our church's birthday today. Happy birthday, church. Oh, well done. Happy birthday. Well, this morning, we've got three things to try and link together. The conversation that Ruth has just read about Jesus with the Samaritan woman, the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and the next part of our creed relating to the Holy Spirit. So we'll look at them in the order they happen. Now, Jesus had this amazing conversation with this woman by Jacob's well. Now, she was ostracized by her neighbors because she was living with the man, not her husband. Jesus then took the conversation, and you can read it when you go home. He took the conversation from human relationships to divine relationships, from sex to worship. Now, that's quite a leap. Well, when this, dis- this lady discovered that Jesus knew all about her private life, she quickly changed the subject. She didn't want him touching on those things. And she began to discuss a very popular theological issue between the races. Where was the correct place to worship? Now, the Samaritans had built their temple on Mount Moriah. On, sorry, on Mount Gerizim. But the Jews built their temple on Mount Moriah, you may remember that from the Old Testament. That's where Abraham was called to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And of course, God provided a ram in his place. And where a thousand years later, King David established the city of Jerusalem. And of course, it's where King Solomon built the first Jewish temple. So Jesus wanted her to understand that true worship is not limited to the place or a special time, or using certain rituals or liturgies, although they can be very helpful. The location of worship is not nearly as important as the attitude of the worshippers. God is spirit, said Jesus, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So our first reading links worship with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, our second reading is all about the day of Pentecost, where the disciples were all together, probably with their wives and their families and the other followers of Jesus. It was the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week, where they celebrated the time the angel of death passed over the Israelites in Egypt. So it was also 50 days since the death of Jesus. And suddenly this sound of a violent wind filled the place where they were sitting. You can imagine the curtains billowing, papyrus scrolls falling off tables, edges of mats being lifted up, clothes being whipped around their legs, and their hair blowing about all over the place, having definite bad hair days. 
Yet, if they had glanced outside, they would have seen it was all calm and people would be going about their own daily life totally unaware at that point of what was going on inside. And the important thing to note here is that this wind came from heaven, the place where Jesus had ascended to just 10 days prior. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, some of the creative power of God was coming down upon the bodies, minds and spirits and hearts of the followers of Jesus. So the gift of the Holy Spirit that day was a direct result of the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. And as they looked at each other, tongues of fire suddenly filled the place, separating and resting on each one of them. Not one of them was left out. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God and began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. I love that phrase. That phrase alone is worthy of a whole sermon to itself, as the Spirit enabled them. The Amplified Bible says they were diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression. What a lovely word that is, diffused. Can you feel the Spirit diffusing among your souls this morning? And then we read that the sounds and the commotion, the excitement and the praise was beginning to be heard by the hundreds of visitors who were in Jerusalem for the festival. Pilgrims who'd come from hundreds of miles away, each with their different languages and dialects. Yet, when they heard the disciples speaking out in their various Holy Spirit languages, it wasn't faltering words that they heard, as you do when you first start to learn a new language, like, can I have a coffee, please? Or, direct me to the station, please. The most I can do in French is, bonjour, toi tranche jambon, s'il vous plaît. Thank you. Can I have three slices of ham, please? <laughs> That's the most I ever did after being so, going so often to France. But their speech was fully formed. It was competent, and it was readily understood by each visiting Jew. And of course, the wonderful thing they were saying was all about God. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in other words, they were worshipping God in their Holy Spirit-given tongue. So our second reading links praising God for all his wonders as a direct result of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now our last section is the next section of the creed, following on from our Archdeacon Andrew Wooding-Jones last week. So the creed, the third um, section we're looking at, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. With the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is worshipped and glorified. I wonder if in your heart of hearts we secretly place the Holy Spirit as a little less than God the Father and God the Son. Do you believe the Holy Spirit is equal with God and Jesus? Do you believe he deserves the same level of praise and worship and adoration as the other two? I hope so, 
because the scriptures and the creed leave no doubt that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity and is equally one with Father and Son. He is God. I remember when I was a very young Christian in the Baptist church that I grew up in, asking my pastor if I could pray to the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, yes. And yet, very rarely do any of us ever address our prayers to dear Holy Spirit, do we? Though we are told in Ephesians 6 to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, And that thought is wonderfully proclaimed in an old hymn. Breathe on me breath of God till I am wholly thine, until this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. The Holy Spirit was with God in creation, actively involved, moving across the face of the waters. He was seen to be moving in Old Testament times, especially when God chose a person to do a specific role, And the Spirit gave that person the much-needed giftings and power and ability. For instance, there was a man called Bezalel who was given wonderful artistic ability to build the tabernacle and to do all the beautiful furnishings. A man called Jephthah was given military prowess. And David, the king, was given power to rule. The three members of the Trinity are clearly linked together at Jesus' baptism As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am pleased. And just before Jesus ascended back to his Father, he says in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Paul refers to the Trinity in his letters, and Peter, writing in his first letter, speaks to God's elect, that's you and me, as being chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. An interesting reference in Acts 5, which I discovered, is all about Ananias and Sapphira, who remember they hid, they held back some money that they said they were offering to God. And Peter exclaims, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to humans, but to God. We see the words he has spoken through the prophets fulfilled in various parts of Scripture. Peter in his second letter writes, Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but God spoke to men through the Holy Spirit. And we have so many words of prophecy in the Old Testament and the New, especially the lovely words of Isaiah 61 that Jesus repeats when he first stood up in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And on this first day of Pentecost, we have the fulfillment of the wonderful prophecy in Joel chapter 2, where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. On those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. No one is left out. So the spirit came upon all believers 
men and women alike in that room that first day of Pentecost, not only to empower them, but to dwell in them day by day. And of course, all three members of the Trinity are involved in the salvation process. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He is able to live in his people through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And can I just say at this point, to clarify that every single believer here already has the Holy Spirit within them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord, as we did at the beginning, except by the Holy Spirit. He has to be part of your life to enable you to respond and recognize your need for a saviour. The Holy Spirit has many wonderful attributes, including inspiring the scriptures, imparting wisdom, comforting the church, sanctifying Christians, convincing of sin, dwelling and building up believers, giving joy. He is our helper, our counsellor. He guides, he speaks, he reminds us of the words of Jesus. He reveals the things of God and he teaches us how to answer our persecutors. And he is the guarantee of God's favour and our eternal future in heaven. He also enables us to develop the fruit of the Spirit and he gives us many wonderful and various gifts. Above all, as well as teaching us to pray, he constantly prays for every believer. Romans 8 says, we do not know how to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's you and me, in accordance with God's will. So the Holy Spirit is equally worthy to receive our praise and our worship, just as the Father and the Son are. So having looked at the Holy Spirit and all his wonderful attributes, just let's look at that word worship. I did a quick scan of worship in the Bible. And the thing that came across most strongly is that people either worship the one true God or they worship other gods and other idols. In the very last chapter of the Bible, John falls down to worship at the feet of the angel who'd brought him the wonderful prophetic picture of the new Jerusalem. But he's rebuked for his idolatry. The angel said, don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant with you and with the prophets and all who keep the words of this book. And of course, if you remember, Jesus was faced with that very same temptation by the devil to kneel down and worship him. But Jesus replied, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Today, the devil entices all of us to entice us with materialism and power, enticing us away from God. And we can resist that temptation by using the very words of the scriptures that Jesus did, by using God's powerful word. So well as the Holy Spirit, the other word that comes out of these three extracts from the Bible and our creed is worship. They're like links in a chain. The conversation about worship that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, 
The words of worship and praise that were understood by the many visitors to Jerusalem that day and the words of our creed with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is worshipped and glorified. So what does worship really mean? It means to express our feelings of reverence and adoration for God, paying homage to him, adoring him, praising him. It's about putting God first and not having anything in our lives that is more important than him because anything else could become an idol. Many, many years ago, my first husband, Peter Hall, was studying for his PhD. He came down from the study one morning in tears, saying the Lord had asked him to put his studying down, to lay it aside, which he did for a year or two. And then the Lord allowed him to take it up again when he'd learnt to put God first. A similar thing happened to me regarding sewing. And I think others recently, particularly those who've been on the Growing Leaders course, have also experienced a similar thing of God asking them to lay things aside to put him first. Now each of us today can be faced with the temptation of putting different idols before God, different things that draw us away from him. But God, our Heavenly Father, longs for us to put him first, giving him our time, our attention, our heart's desire, turning to him first before we turn to others, praising him in words and songs and fasting and prayer, worshipping God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit equally, telling others of his wonderful deeds his amazing grace and his desire to fill each one of us with his loving presence and power. So true worship is when the spirit, the invisible part of a person, speaks to and meets with God, who is immortal and invisible. True worship must be in keeping with God's nature, said Jesus, which is spirit. To worship God in spirit and in truth means real, inward, genuine worship from a heart changed by the Holy Spirit of God. And we can only be true worshippers of God when we worship the Father through the Son by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So our creed tells us to worship the Holy Spirit and glorify him in the same way that we worship the Father and the Son. But of course, as well as being able and worthy to receive our worship, it's actually the Holy Spirit who enables us to worship. He enables us to do just that. He has been given to us to enable us to give true worship to God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now we know we sometimes sin and our lives get cluttered up with other things. We know we sometimes run on empty in our Christian lives perhaps because we're not letting the Holy Spirit have full control of every part of our lives. So this morning, it's good to have an opportunity to realise afresh the importance of the Holy Spirit, our need for more of him, more of his power, more of his love, and more of his empowering to enable us to worship the Lord more deeply. 
The writer Catherine Marshall wrote, We don't have to settle for blandness in life. God, who is the author of creativity, love and joy, is ready to make a dull life adventuresome the moment we allow his Holy Spirit to go to work inside us. So today of all days, I long that each one of us, every single one of us, has a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit. Let us all truly desire that the wind of God will sweep through our lives, our hearts, our imaginations, our powers of speech, and transform us from listless, dull believers into people whose hearts are on fire with love for God. So today, on this Pentecost Sunday, we are giving an opportunity for each one of us to receive a fresh touch from the Lord, a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit through the anointing with oil, through our clergy, who is Steve here today, and the four of us lay readers today. So please come to the front, gather together as the disciples did. Let the Lord fill us up afresh with the Holy Spirit and give us all the resources we need to obey his call to worship and glorify the Lord our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So Steve, I'm going to invite you to come first. We will follow and we will please invite you just to come and receive an anointing with God.